So when Billy Graham was driving through a small town, he was stopped by a policeman in charge with speeding. Um, he was speeding, so he fessed up to the officer, uh, yes, um, I was speeding, and he was told to appear in court. The judge asked Billy Graham when he appeared in court, was he guilty or not guilty? And when Graham pleaded guilty, the judge replied, that'll be $10, dollar for every mile that you went over the speed limit. Suddenly, the judge recognized the famous minister. You violated the law, he said. The fine must be paid. But I'm going to pay it for you. He took a $10 bill from his own wallet, attached it to the ticket, and then took Graham out and bought him a steak dinner. That, Billy Graham, is how God treats repentant sinners. Today we're going to be talking about grace, which I feel like is a good follow-up to last week's talk about sin. So let's take some time to define grace and see how Luther's view relates to us in our modern world. First, like I asked with the justification a couple weeks ago, I want you to try to define grace. So on your yak sheet, where it says, define grace, I want you to attempt to define grace. Okay? Right now? No, yes, right now. Come on. Come on. Put it together. Define grace right now, we're going to talk about it. Find grace. If you're not writing, I'm more likely to call on you. Okay. Not you. <laughs> what about me? Yes. On a complete side note, uh, you know I'm raising my son right. So we play Star Wars Legos together. Um, and so in Star Wars Legos, you get to create your own guy if you want. And Steven created this guy. He's got an afro and a bow caster. It's pretty cool. Um, and uh, I said, Steven, what do you want to name him? And he goes, let's call him Grace. Grace the bad guy. <laughs> and I went, uh, theology's way off. But we'll go with it. So every time we get on to play the game, he's like, can I be Grace the bad guy? I'm like, yes, I continue to butcher your theology. But he's thinking about grace, even if it's with an afro and a bowcaster, and they're evil. So how'd you, what'd you put down? What'd you put down? Who would like to offer up their dictionary version? Sarah Ann. Um, I mix this up with mercy, but I think it's getting something you don't deserve. Okay, getting something you don't deserve. Luke, did you put down the same thing? I did. You're about to? <laughs> what did you put down? Um, mercy. You put down mercy? Okay. 
Caleb won. Chambers. Family honor. I put act of being kind. Act of being kind sometimes even if it's not deserved. Okay, act of being kind, like the judge, right? Hey, not only gonna pay your fine. We're going to Shoney's, you know? Which is where you go in the country if you want a good steak dinner, right? You remember. <laughs> okay, what about you, uh, Preston? Chupa. I put, like, the same thing as all of them, just, like, being nice or, like, um, doing something from the Okay. Amanda. <laughs> um, exempting someone from their debts or from punishments or consequences and giving them more. Sure. So, exempting someone from their debts or consequences. I like that. One, because it uses two SAT words. <laughs> And two, because it's pretty correct. So, um, well, I'm not going to tell you how you did yet, but some of you are on the right track, others of you, whatever. Um, so let's jump back into Martin's day. So while he was teaching at Wittenberg, he said, salvation is given out of the pure mercy of, a promising, of the promising God. Salvation is given out of the pure mercy of the promising God. Do you think that raised eyebrows in the Catholic Church? That's you. That's where you talk back. I know this is a weird yak. So the statement, salvation is given out of the pure mercy of a promising God. Do you think that raised eyebrows in the Catholic Church? Yes. Yes. So the answer is no. So he was upholding Rome's theology here. So many define the Reformation as simply there's the Reformation of grace on one side. So there's salvation by grace and then there's salvation by works on the other. Like that's what that's what separates us from the Catholics. And I wish it was that easy. Right. But it's a lot more nuanced than that. And if you want to still have a good relationship with your Catholic friend after trying to break down the religion to them, you should know, kind of know what they mean by it. So let's get to the bottom of it. So, so God does save by grace according to the medieval church. That's not a new concept. But that grace is given to those who are prepared for it, who do what is in them to be fit for grace. So you have to be a vessel who is worthy of grace, okay? Or as other teachers of the day like to put it, God will not deny grace to those who do their best. If you're doing your best, you're going to get some grace. Okay? We mentioned the word intentions last week during our message. It was very briefly, it was one sentence, it was the one sentence setup, so it's okay if you missed it. Our problem, according to that medieval theology of grace, is that God is holy and we are spiritually lazy. So we need grace if we are putting our best intentions forward as the lazy people that we are. Does that make sense? So how do you think our intentions play out to God? If, like, if you are to stand before God and say, well, my intentions were good, how do you think that would play out? This is where you talk back again. I know that's weird, yeah. Okay. 
Watson, you're always in for one profound thing. It might be for transformation groups, but let me see if I can tease it out now. How do you think our intentions would play out before God? Let's say you committed a sin. You get up before God, and you said, but I, I didn't intend to. You were doing your best. Okay, good answer. Anyone in the I don't know camp too? No one. Okay, so the rest of you have the answer. So let's go with Zach. I think he's in the I don't know room either. You're asleep, okay? Oh, you're lying. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. I'll give any grace. Okay. Oh, thanks. You have no idea. How do you think your intentions play out with God? Okay, let's so let's let's humanize it. Okay, um, let's let's take a law setting, right? Like a real life law setting. If you're speeding, but you tell the officer you didn't intend to, you just missed the sign. Do they write the ticket? Yes. Yes. So your intentions when there's a law. You might get off with a warning, but they have every right to write you a ticket, right? Okay? So, and this happens all the time for my children. If they're charged with a crime that they hurt their other sibling, but they didn't intend to do it, does that mean they didn't commit the crime? No. Okay? I, I got this from lawyers.com. So, um, so crimes against persons include crimes that cause a person physical harm. However... Just the threat of harm counts as well. So you actually can be charged with assault if you threaten somebody with physical body harm. Okay, Battery is the moment you touch somebody. So your intentions do make a big difference. Okay, If you hurt somebody by accident, though, it's still a crime. If you hurt somebody by accident, it's still a crime. But penalties aren't nearly as severe as they would be if they did it on purpose. Hence, there's a difference between voluntary and involuntary manslaughter. You spend different amounts of time in jail, but you still go to jail. Okay, So yes, intentions count for something, even on a human level, but that does not mean that your crime does not exist. Um, So back to the definition of grace. Grace to the Catholic, and you'll get this as teenagers, grace to the Catholic is like spiritual Red Bull. Okay? Or monster, Patrick. Okay? It helps boost your intentions so that you can therefore do better deeds. It helps boost your intentions. So you were spiritually lazy. Okay? Then you had your grace, your spiritual Red Bull, and now you can perform better works or deeds because now you have the energy or the focus to do so. Does that make sense? It's weird to me, but that's what it is. Because the lack of intentions can cause positive consequences just as much as negative ones. This, then, was their theology of salvation by grace. Without this grace, we can never become holy people It claimed belonged in heaven, but it would absolutely not be a salvation, uh, a theology of salvation by grace alone. So it's not salvation by grace alone, which is what we believe. Here, grace provided the necessary boost this theology imagined we all need to earn an eternal life. 
but it does not actually give us eternal life itself. Does that make sense? So if you're a Catholic and you take your spiritual Red Bull, you now have better intentions in which you can now better earn your eternal life. But Luther's saying no. Grace is not the spiritual Red Bull. Grace is not something that you earn. Um, The Red Bull of grace would be given to those who wanted to pursue it, and it saved only insofar as it enabled people to become holy and so win their salvation. But the radical gospel of grace is very different. Grace, for us, it's very different. In Reformation thought, grace is no longer seen as a spiritual Red Bull. It's seen as a marriage. So if you have grace as spiritual Red Bull on the medieval side, to the reformers, it's seen like a marriage. So let me explain that. Um, I did a talk on this years ago. It's the story of Hosea. Okay? Um, Hosea is a prophet in the Old Testament that marries a prostitute. It's not typically a story covered in your children's Bibles, um, but it is probably the most direct conversation about what grace is on the planet. So let me give it to you. Hosea is charged with marrying a prostitute named Gomer. Okay? And then he's asked to have children with Gomer. Okay? And Gomer, he has children with. We don't know if they're his children, but we know that he has children with Gomer. And Gomer continues to go out whoring. Okay? And goes so destitute and continues to practice this practice that he actually has to go to the slave market and buy his wife for a price. And when he finally gives her grace and brings her back into the family, she's no longer defined as the prostitute, but she's defined as his. Her children are no longer defined as children of a prostitute, but are now defined as his. Does that make sense? That's why, to, that's why it's the story of the gospel. And guess what? You're the prostitute. God, by his grace, marries the prostitute. The one that continues to chase after other gods and do your own thing. And God is not defined, though, by the prostitute. Just like Gomer, I mean, Hosea was not defined by Gomer. We, though, as the person who has been brought into marriage with the groom, Christ, take on all his titles. So that's why we talk about the the, um, theology of adoption, the theology of being brought into the kingdom. You are heirs of Christ. So that is the picture that is painted here when it comes to the salvation of grace. So does this mean, and this was immediately brought up with Luther, and it's still brought up today, that we can do whatever we want? Can we now do whatever we want? We have grace, right? So can we consent about? You want to give it a shot, Deborah? We have grace now. Consent just about. No. Very good. Why not? I mean, I got the grace. I, I, rings on it. So I can do what I want, right? He's not going to divorce me. So why can't you just go do what you want? This is where you talk again. Ashley, why can't you just do what you want? You're the eldest. I mean, you get to do what you want anyways, right? (laughs) 
Okay, so there's something that happens to us to where there's growth now. I like that. Okay. Anybody else? Melissa, you want to try to break it down for me? Why do we... Can we just... Sin, can sin abound now that we are in the midst of grace? No. Okay. Because it has an effect on others. Okay. So it not only has an effect on us, it has an effect on others too. Alright, I like that. Okay. So... Uh, I love this message pulled out of Michael Horton's book, The Agony of Deceit, and it says this, and I, I just wanted to get it all because it was good. So the radical gospel of grace, as it's found throughout the scripture, has always had its critics. Jimmy Swagger told me a few years ago that by trusting in God's justifying and preserving grace, I would end up living a life of sin before long and thus lose my salvation and be consigned to hell. Paul anticipated this reaction from the religious community of his own day after he said, Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, Romans 5.20. So he asked the question he expected us to ask, Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Should we sin that we can receive more grace? In other words, if people believe that you just said in Romans 5, Paul, wouldn't they take advantage of the situation and live like um, the Dickens? knowing that they were safe and secure from all alarm? And that's a fair question, right? But it reveals a very basic misunderstanding of the nature of God's saving grace. Paul's response is unmistakable. This is what Paul says in Romans 6.2, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So when you are in Christ, exactly as Ashley said, you're growing. If you're not in Christ... Sin still abounds, but that's because you're not a Christian. <laughs> Does that make sense? You're not, you're, not in, you're not in Christ. Someone confronted Martin Luther upon the Reformers' rediscovery of the biblical principle of the doctrine of justification with a remark. If it's true, a person could simply live as he pleased. And I love Luther's response. He went, indeed, a person can live as he pleased. But he said this, now what pleases you? Now what pleases you? Augustine was the good preacher of grace during the 4th and 5th centuries, and although this understanding of the doctrine of justification didn't have its fine-tuned precision of the reformers, Augustine's response on this point was similar to Luther's. He said that the doctrine of justification, this idea of grace, led to the maxim, love God and do as you please, because we have misunderstood one of the gospel's most basic themes. Augustine's statements looks to look like does, look, while it looks like a license to indulge in all sort of sinful activity, but reality, it touches upon the fact that as a Christian, the motivation for your actions is now different. The motivation for your actions is now different. You didn't just take spiritual red ball and now you have better intentions. We talked about it last week as we talked about the will. Your will has changed. If you're in Christ, your will has changed. The person who has been justified by God's grace has a new, higher, and nobler motivation for holiness than the shallow, hypocritical, self-righteous, um, fearmonger of the religious day. And this is nothing like how Luther and his reform- this is exactly how Luther and his reformers saw grace. For them, grace was not a thing at all. It was a personal kindness of God by which He does not merely enable us, but actually rescues and freely gives us. 
script of himself. It's this idea of it's constantly renewing you. You're in a marriage. This is such a sweet message. There are countless stories throughout history of how this grace was the catalyst to bring healing, to being a catalyst to thankfulness. One such story is in Max Licato's uh, Max Licato or Licato or uh, Lacado. I don't know how to say it. I butcher it. Tells us, and no wonder they call him Savior. And, and before I read the story, you hear this all the time. These stories about how this story of grace just changes. You mean God still loves me? You mean after I did that, God, God's willing to forgive me? The message of grace for you hopefully is so common that at times you don't realize its importance. But for those who have, for lack of a better term, or to take a term for AA, fallen off the wagon, it's this understanding that the the plank is always available to get back on. And this is the story. I love it. Longing to leave her poor Brazilian neighborhood, Christina wanted to see the world. Discontent with uh, uh, with a home having only a pallet on the floor, a wash basin, and a wood-burning stove, she dreamed of a better life in the city, and one morning she slipped away, breaking her mother's heart. Knowing what life on the street would be like for her young, attractive daughter, Maria, her mother, hurriedly packed to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat on the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on the pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro, the biggest city in Brazil. Maria knew Cristina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that before they thought unthinkable. Stay with me, boys. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went to them all. And in each place, she left her picture, taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to the corner phone booth. And on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures ran out, and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade these countless beds for a secure little one-room pallet. Yet the little village was way too many miles away. And as she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face, and she looked again. And there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back was this compelling invitation. Her mother had simply written, whatever you've done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. And that's grace. That's the freedom that's offered in the gospel. Is that there's really nothing that you can do that will put up a wall to the Father that Jesus can't break through. And that's the message that we get to offer to our friends who are outside the gospel. We need to remember this story of grace and other stories of grace that we hear throughout history.